Welcome to the solution. This is an AA speaker series meeting in which we discuss the 12 steps of the program of recovery. For 12 weeks, we have a speaker sharing their experience, strength, and hope of the AA 12 steps. If time permits, we will open the meeting for discussion. And our series, our series, wow, our speaker for this series is Mike Chase. Can we get a warm welcome for him? I'm a recovered alcoholic. My name is Mike Chase. Mike Chase. And I seriously want to throw up tonight because I'm really, I'm excited about this. You know, this is where I wanted to end up. This is the goal of everything we've done up to this point. If you guys haven't done the steps or done anything of that stuff right now, you'll understand how excited I am once you finally do it. Because once you start the steps, we're going to be covering step 11 tonight, which is, I like to call sort of the brass ring of recovery. This is where I wanted to get. This is where all this work was supposed to bring me to. This is the purpose of everything I did with my sponsor, all that humbling, all that self-searching, everything that I had to do. I'm here. I'm, I'm walking with God now. I've got this relationship with this power greater than myself, whatever you guys want to call it, you know. I choose to call it God because it's easy. It's three-letter. reminds me of dogs spelled backwards, and dogs are really loyal and loving and caring, and so is my God. Um, I'm sober now. You know, and we just did the 10th step last week where I'm, I'm free of the bondage of a, the uh, mental obsession brought about that's triggered by my spiritual malady. And you put those things two together and I get triggered and I go out and have a drink or I do a, a, a line or a, whatever we do, you know, and that phenomenon kicks in and I'm just, I get this whole different spiritual relationship. I've got this spiritual relationship with this drug or the uh, drug, alcohol is a drug, right? So we can call it that. Um, so, but I'm, I'm in a place of change, and I'm going through change every day. Um, I, I can share a lot of the mechanics I do with my sponsor, because that's what keeps me developing a better relationship with God. But I'm going to share a little bit about how I got to this place, because I didn't wake up this time around. Boom, relationship with God, connected to God, having this conversation with God. In 1984, yeah, I had the white light experience in a rehab, and boom, you know, I'm this loving, caring, compassionate guy, and I don't know what to do with all this, this, this relationship, and this God is going through me, and this annoying, just this, the therapist wanted to keep me a little bit longer, and some of them just wanted to get rid of me, and all the other people in rehab are just like, this guy's just too nice and too friendly, you know? I've got all this God going through. I didn't understand what it was about, you know. And, and it over a period of time, because I didn't get sober the first time doing the steps. I got sober because I reached an emotional wall. And I reached a point where I sincerely asked God for help. And I was sincerely open for it. And God came in and changed me. I was a lying, stealing, low-life, self-centered, inconsiderate, self-serving, backstabbing, sort of fun to hang around with once in a while kind of guy. And through a spiritual experience, which I really can't understand, explain other than it was like awesome i woke up the next morning connected to god again you know i was born connected to god i was a loving kind compassionate kid i wasn't born a schmuck i developed into one i wasn't born lying and cheating i realized that if i had to get things on god's time at an early age it really was too inconvenient and like oh god i had to like practice it stuff i had to do homework I had to, you know, do chores to get... Just so much easier just to steal it. So much easier to lie to tell people that I did it, you know. So I, I had this relationship with God, and then slowly over time, that relationship just frittered away, you know. 
I, I wasn't like one of those people that had a, a tragic event that happens into my life and, and I, and I raise double fists to God and, you know, scream holy hell at him and say, I don't want anything to do with you. It just evaporated over time, you know. I discovered a new spirit. You know, the, for me, the spirit was what I found in alcohol. Spirit, they call alcohol spirit for a reason. It's like this, it does something to us. Who's a real addict alcoholic? You know what I'm talking about, right? You put that shit in us and I'm like, yeah, it's nice, you know, and it feels great. Yeah, it's like nursery school and kindergarten and, and Bible class was cute and fun, but chug, 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 that's, that was it. You know, six years, I, started, I was six years old when I started socially drinking, and, and I knew right then at that point I wasn't going to be an altar boy anymore. That The whole concept of being a priest, that just, now nah, I was going to be a bartender, you know. <laughs> six years old, that was my, I went from wanting to be one of those evangelical ministers to a bartender, you know, that was just like a shift because that spirit I found in alcohol just changed my life. And the stuff that happened when I got drunk really helped build up a better relationship against God. You know, God was always, just like a dog. You know, you got, who, who's got a, a dog? Okay, you got the do- who had a dog in, in addiction, right? You get the dog on a really great day and you spend, you have fun with him and this dog just loves you and all of a sudden you decide to get high so you put the dog outdoors. Leave him outdoors. Mm-hmm. My analogy is you see the dog outside the sliding glass door looking in the window going, let's play, I want to hang out with you, you know? And I'm like, I'm busy, I got shit to do and I spend a couple minutes with the dog when I feel like it but I just had other things to do and that dog was out there always wanting to just unconditionally love me, to be my friend, to be there with me, you know, go everywhere with me. I just d- didn't want him seeing the shit I was doing, you know? Same thing, that's what my relationship with God was like, you know? I discovered the spirit of drugs, the spirit of alcohol, and God was just a little too annoying, a little too goody-goody, so I left him outside. But he was always there. I found later on that God was always just waiting for me. As a matter of fact, God was always in me. God never left me. You know, God was inside me the entire time. It was my lying, cheating, stealing, shame, guilt, and remorse, a bunch of little things that just built up this wall. You know, eventually, I just lost my connection to God. Selfish, self-centeredness, run amok, you know? I'm this manipulator. I'm this liar. I'm using people. My relationships with people had stopped being pure. They were just me. What can I get from you? What I want, I need something. How can I get this and how can I use it? And this is we're talking 10, 11, and 12, you know, which isn't why I'm addict alcoholic. That behavior is just what I did. And I, I was thinking about this on the way up. A lot of the stuff that I was doing growing up didn't really turn me alcoholic. A lot of it's a, d- a direct result of being alcoholic, you know, but it, to a varying degree. But I got a lot of friends who I grew up with who aren't addict alcoholics are the bigger schmucks than I ever was, you know? These guys are, 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 are criminals, they're, they're uh, manipulators, they're, you know, they're just they're con men, you know? But they can go have a drink or two and go to sleep and wake up in the morning and get on with their lives. So I had this mixed bag of being a scumbag and alcoholic. You know, I, I, I had to turn to the alcohol for this relief because I'm, like, not really comfortable with myself. And I get that buzz, and it's like, oh. Self wrote for God from age 12 to 24. My God was alcohol. <coughs> my God was anything I wanted. You know, I had, I had no, my boundaries had just pretty much evaporated. The things I never would have done, I started doing. And the things I never, never was going to do, I sort of did occasionally. So I'm just running amok, completely disconnected from God, completely lost. 
alcohol is my master. You know, I'm drinking because I have to drink. I'm not drinking because it's fun anymore. That, that, that went away a long time ago. You know, I, I always went out with the intention, I'm going to have some fun tonight getting drunk. Or I'm going to go, you know, buy a couple eight balls and have some real, really fun, you know. And I always thought that was sort of like my own personal decision to go out on, on a run like that. Alcoholics Anonymous eventually taught me, it's like, I had no decision in that. I was going to happen anyway. My first step tells me, Mike Chase, you're going to get drunk and there's nothing you can do about it. You're going to go get Mr. Get High and there's nothing you can do about it. It's not saying, you know, Mike Chase, you got problems drinking and stuff like that. You might want to quit drinking. As a matter of fact, you should try, really try really hard. That's not what it told me. It told me, you're going to do it and there's nothing you can do about it, you know? 84, I, I, had, I had done a lot of stuff that I wasn't supposed to do. Suicide was the option, but it wasn't the option. I, every time I tried, I, I never got around to it because every time I went to go kill myself, it makes myself a really nice big drink. You know, you don't kill yourself without a good drink and put on some carpenter's music or... <laughs> yeah, it's pathetic, huh? Um, yeah, I was, I, I was speaking a while back at this place up in Illinois to this, this group of people, and they're all like 50s, 60s, and 70s, and they got every one of my jokes, which is sort of sad. They understood all these guys I'm listening to. So I'm listening to the car. And I've got my car. I've turned on Cat Stevens or um, the Carpenters. And i got this big-ass drink, you know, and this big old rolled control, controlled substance. And I'm writing the suicide, you know, because I've got no relationship with God. I had no hope. Everything was, it was the shit was going to hit the fan. I may as well you know, just kill myself. And I take a couple of sips off my drink, you know, and this horrible event that's occurred, this, this life-changing event that I'm not going to make it through, so I may as well just kill myself, you know. Halfway through the drink, it's like the car's turned off, the hose is put back. You know, I'm back in the house mixing myself another drink because this one's almost getting Because the phenomenon of craving kicked in, you know. Now, when I'm working with my guys, I, 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 first time we meet, I look them straight in the eyes and say, here's the deal. You're never going to have to lie, cheat, steal, manipulate people over ever again. Gets their attention. And, uh, <laughs> and then I look at them again and says, guess what? You're never going to be able to lie, cheat, steal, manipulate people over again. And they immediately think I'm giving them rules, that I'm telling them something they can't do. And they don't get it. Because once I've gone through this process and I've gotten reconnected back to God, try doing that stuff. You know, when I'm walking hand in hand with God, and I'm living a life based on the four absolutes, which we'll touch on a little bit tonight, you really can't do those things to people anymore. Because I'm connected to God now. You know, it's like I sense the wrong. And I can't run to the booze to, to get relief. Because I know, because I'm, I'm recovered, so I'm saying, it's like I know I can't go get high or drunk over this situation because I know what's going to happen. See, that's the difference between recovered and unrecovered. So I've got this whole process going on, and these guys are sort of like looking at me. And about step 10, they always look at me and they say, I know what you're talking about now. You know, you have to go through the steps to really sort of understand what this transformation is. But, you know, to give you an idea, yeah, I was a scumbag, you know. If, if I could say anything, you know, I, I was, I was, you wouldn't want to hang out with me after an evening. You know, that's, it's a, I, w I would manipulate, I would con you to get you to get me what I needed to get, you know. And that's so not the person I am today. There's been this, this radical change, you know. I could be a little annoying today, but I'm not going to rip you off and, and cause you problems like I used to in the old days. And that's not something I could do on my own. See, I would wake up in the morning and go, I'm not going to get drunk today. I'm not going to get high today. I'm definitely not going to rip off today. I'm going to try to be a good, nice guy today. Because naturally, that's the way we sort of want to start the day. Well, occasionally I felt that way. And uh, by lunchtime, 
I'm back to my old behavior, manipulating, lying, screwing, ripping people off, you know, just doing what I need to do. And every time I tried to do it on my own willpower, I just always got back to that. It didn't always start with the booze. Sometimes I act like that, and then I had to turn to the booze. Or I didn't have to turn to the booze. I just did. The booze. I was going to get high no matter what. I was going to get drunk no matter what. You could, I could be, I could go to church. Mom could drag me to church, right? Two hours of church, and on the way home, back to Fort Lauderdale from Naples, I'm getting drunk. I'm getting high. There was just, there was nothing. In it. So this whole step process was just an opportunity for me to switch. If, if, if you've come here just to quit drinking and drugging, it's going to only last a while, you know? You take away my solution, which was me getting drunk, I'm miserable. You know, I had 17, 15 years of sobriety. I had a year and a half. I got sober in 84, white light experience. For about a year and a half, I was golden. Nothing could bother me. I was walking with God, and life was cool. Everything in my life was good. I was connected to God. And then I started getting envy. You know, they had a better car. They had a better house. They had a better TV. They had a better bike. My job's not good enough. All these things started building up. I wasn't brought through the steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. I just got sober in rehab. And for me, I thought sobriety, Alcoholics Anonymous, was go to a lot of meetings, get a service commitment, make coffee, set up chairs, chair meetings and stuff like that, keep myself real busy. And I wasn't getting drunk and I wasn't getting high. But after a year and a half, I wasn't happy anymore. You know, my internal condition, those external things I'm going after to try and make me feel right. You know, it's like, ooh, employee of the month. Ooh, that was good until that $100 check went away, you know. And, and then, you know, the new cars and the dates and that stuff just sort of wore off. So after 13 and a half years later, I'm trying to kill myself. I'm not very good at that either. Um, sucked at suicide, which is cool because I'm here tonight. That would be a bummer if I was good. Um, <laughs> you know, my mom listens to some of, those, some, of my, some of my talks, and she's just like, don't ever let your parents listen to these things because they don't get it, you know? <laughs> if there's like a non-alcoholic in this room, you're probably thinking, oh, my God, he's talking about suicide. You know, that freaks them out, but who's, who's contemplated suicide? Like, big deal. We, suicide? Yeah, we all suicide. Like, it's like, it's like you'll go to the bathroom. We all contemplate every once in a while. Um, but I was so disconnected from God. You know, when you think about it, that's really sick. You know, like, doing suicide? Yeah, it's cool. We can handle that. We're cool with that. It's like, no wonder normal people look at us and go, like, you people are effed up, you know? Um, Yeah, think about that one for a second. <laughs> um, put down the drink, put down the drug. I had God. I was golden. Anybody out there who's just gone through rehab, you know, AA jail, you know, <laughs> wake up in the morning, run to a meeting. Oh, God, I need a freaking meeting. A couple, a couple hours over, oh, got to run to a meeting, noon meeting, right? Get out of work, run to the 5 o'clock meeting, you know? Somebody pisses you off at the end of the 5 o'clock meeting, so you're off to the 8 o'clock meeting, you know? And I got to go home and go to sleep, or I might get high, so you run home and get to sleep and go high. You know? <laughs> and you wake up, and that goes on and on, right? That's not what this is about. I was talking to some guy the other day, he was on his fourth meeting for the day, and he was twizzled. That's like, <laughs> <laughs> a polite word. Um, that's not what this is all about. If you just want to put down the drug and get a few days with not getting caught and stuff like that, you're in the wrong rooms. Or you're in the right rooms, but you're here for the wrong reasons. Mm -hmm. You know, I had a life that was completely purposeless. I just did every... Oh, good, I'll start over from scratch. 
<laughs> so if we could do the Lord's Prayer, we'd be fine. Um, yeah, that's cool. I'm glad you guys are here. You missed the good part, though. Um, completely disconnected from God. You know, my behavior is completely inappropriate. I've got, you know, I'm picking up medallions, 14, 15 year medallions, woohoo, you know, and I'm, and I'm dying inside because I'm using all this external condition. You know, if I, if I don't get laid that night, oh, I wish I was dead, you know? If, if, I, if my credit card gets, if my credit card got denied, it was just, oh, this is just, oh, well, I'll be better, I'll lie better next time. Um, old behaviors just sort of snuck back into me. So getting where I was talking about, you know, if you're just in the rooms to like just not drink and continue to be a dirt bag, um, good luck. You know, because you're gonna you're gonna be picking up soon. I know because I was picking up soon. I got I got forced back into Alcoholics Anonymous in, in 2005, 2004. Um, I was having this really good run. I'm like six years of, of well, it was like four years. Um, and for some reason, my roommate got real pissed off because I, I wasn't sleeping for like a week and I wasn't showing up to work. And he was like all concerned, so he had to go tell my parents, you know. You know, just wrecked my run. And I was just so pissed that this guy had the audacity. You know, this is my roommate. I've known him since for like 20 years and stuff. He's like, he goes and narcs on me. You know, tells my mom and dad I'm getting drunk and high again. You know, it's like, apparently there's something wrong with not sleeping for a week. I thought that was sort of extreme of him to get so upset. <laughs> so they're going to have this intervention on me, you know, which really sucks. If you guys ever hear those things are coming run um, <laughs> seriously run so I, my boss tells me one day he says you know we're having an intervention for you at the end of the week it's like oh shit that's and he looks at me and this is exact words he takes his little boss or finger you know and get your shit together it's like okay you know God had put this little Weasley guy with these little knobby fingers in my office he was this amazingly nice big book thumper. It's like, oh, he was supposed to be doing sales, but he's always on the phone talking AA stuff. And I'm just like, you know, I'm getting in trouble because I'm not showing up to work half the time. But he's over there. He's talking to AA shit on the phone all the time. My boss is like, shut up. Um, so I hear I'm getting, I'm here I'm getting this, this intervention. And it's like, I know I got to do something. But who, we're good at this, right? Um, I call mom. Mom. I've been using and drinking again, and I need help, but I'm going back to AA. Oh, that's good news. We were going to have an intervention this Friday. It's like, no way. Well, you don't have to anymore. I'm going back to AA, Mom. Okay. Click off. Yes, score. Got out of that. And then this little guy comes up and says, so we're going to the meeting tonight, right? And it's like, oh, shit, not that stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I go to Alcoholics Anonymous. I, I, I had a white light experience in 1984, right? I had, and I'd never really done the steps. I sort of read the book. Who's read the doctor's opinion but never understood what, the, what it was about? You know, I read through it really fast to get it over and done with. I'd sort of speed read it. And actually, I read about two paragraphs and lied about the rest of it. Um, <laughs> but uh, so I'm going to Alcoholics Anonymous. Hadn't been there in... The last time I was in a meeting was in for a week before I went to go kill myself. I walked into a room in Minneapolis and I'm dying and I'm giving AA one last chance, you know. So I walk into this room. I'm the only guy that's new in the room of Alcoholics Anonymous. I go walking in, right? I get a couple nods, maybe a, a wave, you know, but nobody says anything to me. You know? So I sit down in the chair in the corner thinking I'm dying. Yep, I'm here to get 
and, and it's just blah, 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 talking about their lawnmowers, talking about their job, talking a bunch of stuff. I don't even know what they're talking about, but nobody's paying any attention to me. Nobody came up to say hi, never met you before. Nobody reached out to say anything to me. I know today that I probably should have raised my hand. I said, hi, I'm Mike Chase, and I'm going to kill myself probably tomorrow. Somebody want to talk to me about that, but who does that? No, it's ruined a perfectly good suicide attempt. Um, but I knew right then AA doesn't work. It had stopped working years before for me. Let me backtrack. <coughs> Contemporary middle-of-the-road therapeutic, meeting makers make it, get a coffee commitment, stop working for me. I never worked the book found, the program found in Alcoholics Anonymous. You know, I had a white light experience and, and I blew it. You know, so I, I decided that this AA doesn't work. So when this guy tells me going back to AA, it's like, oh God, more AA jail, you know. So I'm, I, I played that game for about three months and then it finally died down and I went on with my run. Completely disconnected from God. Absolutely no hope. Because I went to that meeting that first night, right? And I sat down. I got a bunch of phone numbers. And I got great advice. Don't drink if you want to, Mike Chase. Okay, I'll do that. Put the plug in the jug. Meeting makers make it 90. All this great stuff. With all these, I love the, the phone number. If you feel like getting high, call me. Or if you feel like drinking, call me. It's like, let's do a little back education here. <laughs> Mike Chase, even if you want to, you don't have to drink anymore because you picked up a white chip. I'm going like, yay, that's exciting, you know? <laughs> I really thought it was going to work, you know? So I picked up my white chip. I got a bunch of phone numbers. I got great advice. Except I'm alcoholic, so this is what happens. The great fact is that most alcoholics, for reasons yet obscure, have lost the power of choice in drink. The fact is that most alcoholics, for reasons yet obscure, have lost the power of choice and drink. My so-called willpower becomes practically non-existent. I am un I'm eyeing this, by the way. I am unable at certain times to bring into consciousness with sufficient force the memory and suffering and humiliation even a week or a month ago. We are without the defense against the first drink. So if I'm told to play the drink through, I'm not going to. So I'm at this meeting. I pick up my magic white chip. I've got my, you know... 18 phone numbers, I've got all this great advice, and I'm driving out and the phone rings, and it's Mr. You-Know-Who. Really? I'll be right over. And I look up to the sky, and I say, so you don't, I guess you don't want me to get drunk yet, because, or get sober yet, so I didn't have that white light experience. So I didn't know how to get the God thing. And, I, and I, in 1980s, 90s, when I'm sobriety, doing meeting maker, make a junk, um, I kept watching these people come in and relapse, come in and relapse. And I, I really understand why. Because I, I had this white light experience and I never had the obsession to drink again. It wasn't until I came in the second time that I grasped it, that I'm not going to be able to control my urges. I'm not going to be able to control my obsessions. I'm an alcoholic. I'm a drug addict. And I myself, we read it tonight, no human power is going to keep me from drinking. Meetings are human power. My sponsors, my peer group, my IOP, my counselor and I opened. None of those people could get me sober. I had to get God in my life. Because we didn't, it's not like this God thing just popped up out of nowhere. Well, actually, it did. What I meant to say is this God thing isn't some sneaky way for the religious people to get us all back in church because they need our money. You know, this, is, this, was, this, was, this was stumbled on accident. Rolling hazard. This guy is completely more money than, well, I'm not going to say God, more money than anybody in this room. Um, 
millionaire, had been all over the country, been to every psychiatrist, therapist, every rehab, every detox, everything which they had back then, and nothing was working. You know, all the greatest therapists could not help this guy, and they had just written him off as one of those, you know, they called him chronic alcoholics. Today we just realized we're, we're real alcoholics. And he sent him off to Europe to talk to Sigmund Freud, and Sigmund Freud was busy. Apparently he's out on some coke binge or something, and he accidentally had to go hang out with Carl Jung, which was this crazy, off-the-wall, spiritual, you know, type guy who was just sort of like, oh, my God, he's going to see that guy? Well, he's got to go see him. And, and in discussions and learning, Roland Hazard spends a year with this guy. Gets casual spirituals, go in some churches, learn some, learn some, you know, minor meditation type stuff. After a year, he gets a certificate of completion from Carl Jung, one of the greatest psychiatrists in the world, and he's not even halfway out of the country, and he's getting drunk on the train again. And he goes back to Carl Jung, and he, he says, "Dude, what's up? You know, I've been a year with you, and and I'm getting drunk again. What's the matter?" And Carl just sort of looks at him. Thinks a minute and he says, you know, you're one of those chronic alcoholics. I've never had success with any of your kind, you know. I immediately would have thought, you could have told me that a year ago. You know, so much for diagnostic, right? You should have probably caught that. But he said, what I've been trying to do is to give you a spiritual experience. You know, something that's going to shift you. Because I don't know how, but every once in a while, your type of people have these things. It's a phenomenal spiritual experience. He calls them a vital spiritual experience where... You know, basically, I'm a lying, cheating, stealing, low-life, self-centered, inconsiderate, self-serving, backstabbing, godless kind of guy. A moment of emotional bankruptcy. God comes in, like my white light experience, and shifts and changes everything that was his normal pattern of brain. I've been trying to do that with you. But, you know, I've never been able to do it with anybody. Sorry. And, and, and he's just like, I imagine I'd be really upset, you know. Um, but he walked away at that knowing he needs to have a vital spiritual experience. Not a casual one. Not an, I'm just going to go to church more. You know, I'm going to go to Bible study a couple of things. So he, he needs these, these, these dramatic, vital, crazy ones. And luckily he bumped into those Oxford dudes. He goes back to New York. He bumps into these Oxford dudes, which are these, believe me, these are the fundamentalist, evangelical, Christian, tambourine-shaking for Jesus, walking down the street. These guys were insane about getting God in your life, and they had this really weird program. Now, if you weren't desperate, you were just like, this is too much for me. But he, he did this. You know, he did the Oxford. He, we like to call him, he got oxidized. And he had a spiritual experience sufficient enough to get him to recover from alcoholism. Bumped into a couple guys, and you know, that's how we ended up with Alcoholics Anonymous. That's how we ended up getting the steps. That's how I'm here today. You know, if I was just hanging out in meetings, I'd, I'd probably be on like white chip, let's see, I've got, coming up on eight years soon, I would probably have like 90 white chips by now because I wasn't able to stay sober on my non-spiritual life. So through the steps, I was able to get this relationship with God. You know, the third step was really basic for me. Made a decision, turned my will and my life over to the care of God as I understood him. Will, what is will? My thinking. It's nothing more than that. My thinking compared to thinking with God's thinking. Am I going to continue being a dirtbag in thought or am I going to start living? And they had these things called the four absolutes that were sort of big back in the old days. It's uh, absolute honesty, absolute purity, absolute love, and absolute unselfishness, which really sound cool. They're difficult to live by. 
and, and there's things for us to strive for, but that's what the things that I have to start doing. I had to stop ripping people off, but I couldn't do it on my own willpower, you know? As much as I tried to be a nice guy, I always ended up being a dirtbag in my life. It's one thing to stop thinking like a dirtbag. It was another thing to stop acting like a dirtbag. So the third step for me was like, okay, I'm really serious. Whoever um, came on a really great run, woke up on Tuesday morning, no, Tuesday afternoon, you're supposed to be at work Monday morning, and said, oh, crap, I should never have taken that first drink. It always happens. I know if I, or I, or I, you know, three days later, I'm like, wake it up. It's like, shit, you know? And it's like, oh, good, I'll never do that stuff again. First step, right? It's like, um, I know, the God thing. God's going to take, God will save me. God, you know, the foxhole prayer God thing. And it's like, anything, God, I'll do, I'm yours. Do what you want. Steps one, two, and three, right? By 10 o'clock, we're thinking, that was a little extreme. 12 o'clock, I've got food in me, you know? As a matter of fact, I wasn't fired again, right? I've got lunch in me, which was usually, for me, a uh, chicken soup with a, with a burrito or a chimichanga, which, ugh. Um, but by 4 o'clock, what's my mind saying? You know, I'll just go to that place instead of this place, you know? And endlessly, steps one, two, three, one, two, three, right? Well, I got this guy bringing me through steps one, two, and three. And for me to do step three, I had to jump into step four, right? I had to do something different. Because what was I doing before? The same stuff over and over again. I had to do something different. I actually had to do something to get God in my life. I think we talked about this earlier. How many times have we offered ourselves and asked God to get us out of something, but did we ever hold up our end of the bargain? Foxhole prayer. I'll do this and I'll do this. And it's like, he's not watching me. I can get away with it. You know, it's like I always thought I could get away with stuff. So he's got me working the fourth step, like, which is like, I've only got a few weeks. Doesn't this sort of pushing it? You know, like a step a year I heard or stuff like that, you know? He's got me working the four-step. I know I've got to do the four-step. All that lying, cheating, stealing, I had to find out why I'm doing it. What was the main cause of my, dis- my disruption with my relationship with God? Who's ever tried to listen? you got your radio station, right? You got, you're listening to your music on your car, you know? Your windows are down a little bit, and you're just rocking to that tune. Matter of fact, let's say we got some classic on because we're weird. We got some classic music going, maybe classic rock. And all of a sudden, somebody pulls up next to you, the da boom, bum, da boom, dum, right? That whole music. You're concentrating, maybe you're like, maybe that's it. Somebody pulls up. But I'm listening to this really good music, right? And all of a sudden, this shit pulls up next to me. It's like, or boom, boom. And it's like, every day. Well, see, that's what my relationship with God used to be like. I could be, you know, I'm, I'm with God. I'm, don't touch me. I'm doing great. I'm doing fine. But as soon as some distraction, I'm spinning and crazy again, you know? So I had to find out what, and that spinning and crazy was the, was the resentments, my fears, my, my sexual shame, harms, and my basic harms to others. I did a fist step, and we actually figured out what kind of dirtbag I was and, and how, what, what I was really good at. You know, what was my dirtbag-ish skills? You know, what, what really was blocking me from God? What behaviors was I going to without even knowing it, you know? First of all, for me to do that with God is like, with another human being, like, this is strange. I've never done this before. Being honest with somebody about everything I've ever done, this is odd. Six and seven, I turn it over to God. And I, I don't even know what that is. Six and seven, we, for anybody who's never done it, it's like, that's weird. How does that work, you know? It does. I don't know. Wow. It just did. I turned that stuff over to God. That instantaneous of being a dirtbag slowly got ripped. Now, 
got ripped away in six and seven. Now, I could still be a dirtbag if I want. I could go out tonight and be a complete dirtbag if I wanted to be. But I'm connected to God, and I don't see any reason to do it. So I'm connected to God, and my dirtbagism is over here. Eight and nine, I go out and I clean up the past with everybody else, right? I'm walking through town. I can hold my head high. I'm not living in shame, guilt, remorse. I've actually gone to people before they've come to me to set a payment arrangement. So I am actually feeling pretty good. So I've gotten reconnected to God, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. I'm connected with you all because I'm not worried about you guys coming up behind me like, dude, screw me over. Give me my money because I've already been to you and figured out a way how to take care of that. I'm connected to God and I know the stuff the stuff that is going to block me from God, I'm still capable of doing. You know? I can ch- lie, cheat, manipulate a little bit because I'm human. This is the human condition. We wake up in the morning. What? Divorce me of self-pity, selfishness, and some other things. We'll talk about that in a minute. So I'm still capable of being a, a, a dirt bag, but not to the degrees I used to be. We started out as little dirt bags. I started out as a little dirt bag in 85 by 97. I'm the biggest dirt bag on the street again. It, it comes back to you. So we got step 10, which keeps me in check of my daily behaviors. Am I getting closer to God or am I getting away from God? Is my character defects way over here or has it started to sneak back? So on a daily inventory process, I'm able to keep the stuff clear so I have this opportunity to build my relationship with God. Which brings us to where we're at tonight, step 11. I am at a point where I have a relationship with God and I can build it. Who's ever worked um, analogy time? Um, working at a bar. Really hot gal. I got to meet her. She's, a, she's That's it. This is my life. This is going to be, oh, my God. And your buddies, I know her. She's really cool. Matter of fact, you guys might even like each other, but you got to clean up this and you got to clean up that. And he finally introduces you to the gal, right? And you're sitting down at a coffee table, looking at each other, having a cup of coffee. You're in that position to take this woman who you're convinced is your soulmate, the reason you're living. Everything will be great. You know, this is the girl that's going to fix everything, you know? Do you just blow it? Or do you work on that relationship? Do you, do you, do you call her? Do you, do you spend time with her? Do you develop rapport? Do you find things in common that you can do with each? Well, I guess if you want a healthy relationship, you do that. But this room probably doesn't have much healthy relationship going on. Um, <laughs> you can. Same thing with God. The whole process is to get me... Yeah, you. Um, girl band, two years. Um, step ten gets me gets me right. Step eleven. See, I've got this opportunity to develop a relationship with God, my own conception of God, and it's not just like. See, I'm not I'm not a spiritual guru. I, I'm I'm not all knowing on the best way to get connected to God. Um, I need people to help me, you know. And the books really upfront about it. This takes work. Step 10 takes discipline. This is not for the weenies. This is something that you have to work at. See, I grew up thinking discipline was bad, you know. For me, discipline, well, every time I had any discipline, I was either grounded, spanked, or had things taken away from me. I sucked at sports because I had no discipline. You know, I had friends who were hockey players, and they could do that puck shuffle thing really good, you know. And I would see them at hockey. It's like, God, how do they do that? I don't know that they complete nerds and they do that every day when no one's looking. 
No, they got this discipline of practicing. The, the discipline is actually something good. We have discipline to get us better. So I've got this basic opportunity in step 11 to develop and grow my relationship with God. Now, when I was growing up, it sucked because they forgot my owner's manual. I never had a book that said, this is what you got to do to be good. This is, I, I just never paid attention. But step 11 is our owner's manual. Step 11 is what to do to continue to grow in the sunlight of God. This whole purpose of the program is to get a, a relationship with God. I'm going to read something. This is from the book. Um, Every day is a day we must carry a vision of God's will into our activities. How can I best serve thee? Thy will be done. These are thoughts which must go with us constantly. This is something to work at. And the relationship that I have with God is like so cool. I really like my life today. I have not gone to bed hoping I'm dying. You know, I have not woken up in the morning like, oh, shit, I'm alive in a long time. You know, my life has purpose. I, it's, it's, I get this, and, it's, and I'm not I'm no monk, you know. I, 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 my meditation, I don't float yet. Um, yet, you never know. I haven't had a white light experience this time around. Yet, you never know. I've had the spiritual experience. It came slowly. A lot of little aha moments. Like, oh, ah, oh, yeah. I mean, that's the way, it, the, just to get me to this point where I just got this developed relationship with God. I came in here with just this, like, preschool conception of a relationship with God. And then they give me those 11-step directions. We call them directions, you know. Call them suggestions, which if you look in the dictionary, a suggestion is a subtle command. You know, I jump out of an airplane with a parachute and suggested you pull your parachute, you know. The, the, um, the four absolutes I talked about, you know. I practice those things and I don't build up things against God. Now, how I start my day is a direct result of what I've done in the book. But the book doesn't start me on my first day. When I'm reading the part of the book, and see, so when I work with my guys, we do 10, 11 together because it's like, together you know meditation and and inventory goes together and um, so for me to sort of like break it up into me to sort of a hoot but uh, it gets to the point so I'm sitting down I'm reading 10 11 in the book and we get to page 86 right it's about eight nine that's about 10 o'clock we've been reading a couple hours and it says uh, now we get into step 11 when we retire at night, we constructively review our day. See, he knows I'm supposed to start right now. I'd rather start tomorrow morning. This is a lot. This is a limit. It's like, but it's telling us, I've got to start this inventory right now. When I'm at step 11, I have to start this inventory. And it's an opportunity for me to look back at my day. Now, the 10th step is that instant, as I'm going, correct this situation so I can go on with my day and be happy to God. But the book itself is very specific. As a matter of fact, I've gone and taken them and print paste and copied it out of the big book so I don't screw it up. You know, a lot of people read the big book at night. It's just like, it's, I just laminate stuff. I love laminating. And uh, it's called the 11-step nightly review. And these are specific questions that I've been directed to do. You know, it's like I got a new sponsor about a year and a half ago. Um, I, I was six-ish years, you know. Uh, the, the typical middle-of-the-road Alcoholics Anonymous 10-11 step. Oh, yeah, I do that. Tell me about your nightly review. Well, I think about my night as I'm falling to sleep, you know? Well, how do you start your day? Well, you know, I do a little, when I'm not in a hurry, I'll do, you know, it's like, I thought I was doing 10 and 11, but I really wasn't. I was just giving it lip service. I was full of shit, 
You know? I'm doing 10-11 every day, but I really didn't. And this new sponsor, he gave me this suggestion that I actually answer the questions in a book every night. You know, and, and I start my, and it's so cool, the way I start my inventory, I think back of how I started my morning. Well, we'll get to that. Um, specific questions. There's 12 questions here. I answer them out. Sometimes it's a simple yes. Sometimes it's like, well, da, 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 da. And if I have to do a, we got good at inventory, right? Who's done a four-step? Look at that. That's freaking cool. So you know how to do inventory, right? So I can do it off the top of my head. So at the end of that, I do inventory. I, I write about my day. Simple questions now. See if you guys can relate to this. Was I resentful? Selfish? Dishonest? Afraid? Do I owe an apology? Because you don't want to start. This is stuff we, yeah, right? <laughs> Have I got, am I resentful? <laughs> have we kept something to ourselves which should have been discussed with another person at once mm. you know this is the kind of stuff that's going to build up mm. were we kind and loving to all what could we have done better that is just this open what could I do oh that's always like a... <laughs> <laughs> were we thinking of ourselves most of the time I got this guy I'm in his inventory circle and he does a percentage you know 60% me, 40% others, 40% me, 60%, you know, it's like, it's so cool how he does this stuff. Um, were we thinking ourselves most of the time? Yeah, right? Or were we thinking of what we could do for others? Of what we could pack into the stream of life? So I've got this book, and it's like, I've, I've been doing this for like a year now, and it's like, I've got, it's on my second book, it's so cool. I've never done a journal, because that's really nerdy. And, uh, but this inventory thing, it's basic, it's easy, and it's, 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 I, I sense the difference. And when I see guys who, who go out, you know, it's like, well, you stop going to meetings. You just stop sponsoring people. It's like, have you been doing your 11-step inventory? Well, no. See, you go to the beach, right? You just go to the beach, you sit down, you got your cooler, you got your lawn chair, you got your umbrella, you go play out on the beach, you're playing football, frisbee, doing, looking at whatever you're looking at, you know? An hour later, you come in from the beach, and all of a sudden, it's like you get really pissed off because somebody stole your frickin' stuff, right? Your umbrella's gone, your cooler's gone, and, you're, and it's like you're, you're freaking out, right? All of a sudden, you look about a half mile up the beach, and there's your stuff, right? See, you're, I'm out there playing in the beach, and slowly, I just sort of move down. Well, I'm happy, joyous, and free, connected to God, right? And if I'm not doing 10, step 11, right, I'm slowly moving away from God. I don't even notice it. If I'm not bringing my inventory to somebody who is not going to co-sign my shit, somebody who, listen, you get somebody to, to do this who's not going to be like co-signing your stuff because it does no good, but you, give, you bring it to somebody and they can honestly, so who likes taking other people's inventory? Those are the people you go to. Seriously. This is what keeps me on path connected to God. This is that night. So when I go to, you know, before I was doing this stuff, who does like that tossing and turning stuff? I had too much coffee. BS. You got stuff happened through the day that you didn't process, you know? This is, but we must not, but we must be careful not to drift into worry, remorse, or morbid reflection, for that would diminish our usefulness to others. After making our review, we ask God's forgiveness and inquire what corrective measures should be taken. I thought that's directly out of the big book. It's just easier for me to read. Um, and guess what? I fall asleep. It's great. Do a little prayer meditation before that. Next, 
upon awakening. See, my eyes, I'm sleeping, right? And all of a sudden my eyes pop up, either the alarm or the cat, or I wake up, and the first thing that comes to my mind, I open up, and it's like, oh, God, thank you, I'm sober. Divorce me from selfish, self-centered, and self-pity. Divorce me. That implies what? That's my natural being, to be selfish, self-centered, and full of self-pity. That's the human condition, you know? So I've got to ask God before I do anything else to just get me out. Before I go to bed, I do that, you know? And then I get up and do the get ready for the day stuff, restroom, coffee, make my bagel, get my coffee. And then I have a room I go to that's my sanctuary, you know? I got some things that I read, emails, you know, some, some sappy spiritual stuff because I'm no guru. Um, three separate things I read to get me just sort of connected thinking on a different plane. You know? No Channel 7, no ESPN. I know she's cute. Um, none of that stuff for me. But I want to start connected to God. I call this my God buffet. Prayer, meditation, and then some more prayer on my knees, asking God to direct my thoughts. Continue. Give me the, I, I got the fog light prayer. I got the third step prayer. I got these little prayers that I put into. And you know... As my day goes on, I got a really nice day. When things pop up, it's like I'm able to handle it, you know. I've got this ability to have little prayer moments with God. I try to get more God throughout the day. I never get enough God moments. Um, and then I wake up sometimes and I'm late, right? So I got, I call them these my little McDonald's drive through breakfast with God. Who's had McDonald's for breakfast? How do you feel the rest of the day? <laughs> right? Like, crap. Who's gone to the Mar- Okay. Who's got to the Marriott Buffet brunch and had the fruit and all that wonderful fresh food? Plus you feel really, you ass. feel really good. You're a Marriott guy. I'm not gonna lie. I had to raise my hand. You had to raise your hand. You will find that if you have a great, I call the God Buffet in the morning, your day's gonna be really smooth because you're walking with God. Even if you haven't worked through the steps, you guys. Try that, because any time you're with God is going to grow. It's going to get better. But that McDonald's, you know, I'm late. Ooh, i got to drop to my knees while I'm in the bathroom and the shower. It's like, and then I'm, I'm meditation. And I'm driving. It's like, I feel like shit for the rest of the day because I'm not connected to God. You can start your day whenever you want. Mm, not really. <laughs> you know, I'm already on a roll. I can stop and meditate and get some more time. But the boss says, you've been in there for 10 minutes. What are you doing, you know? <laughs> stop that on clock time. Um, now, remember I, what we do at, at, at our end of the night inventory. I've got our guys doing this now. Top of the page, we write GB, which stands for God Buffet, and we, and we do a scale of 1 to 10. Looking back, how was your breakfast with God? Did you have a buffet or did you have a drive through taco, that new Taco Bell thing with the waffle? Oh, that's not even having prayer throughout the day. <laughs> We're starting to see the correlation. God buffet, 8 or 9, 10. Day's been really nice. No major problems. No resentment. No problems, right? God breakfast, McDonald's, a 1 or a 2. Fought with the boss. Fought with the cat. Complete correlation. Connected to God. Disconnected from God. There's some amazing stuff that we've got here in the 11th step. Um, I I can see this from here. Maximize your life. My purpose is to be of service to God, to be here for you guys, to be here for everyone, and have a good life and have fun and stuff like that. But when I had a purposeless, selfish, self-centered life of me, 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 I was a miserable dude inside, you know? 
Having a life on based on a service to belong to the greatest fellowship in the world. Listen, you've got the opportunity to save lives. My brother's a brain surgeon up in Minneapolis. He's, you know, he's always getting flown in or, to go save lives with knives and stitches and shit like that. And uh, he sees me at family dinners. He, it's not as much, but at first he used to like, look at me like, oh, you're so amazing. That's what he's thinking. And I was like, what? He says, you know, you're just so cool because he works with us because he gets doctor shopped a lot, you know, and he sees the misery. He sees the and he sees the stuff that I've been doing. He sees the family that we have, you know, and he knows what we can do. This is a guy who saves lives. You can save lives, too. Now, God does like like with my little brother. I say, well, when does recovery? Because I always had this, you know, when a long, slow recovery. I hate that line because it usually means don't do the steps. Just don't do anything for a while. Um, I said, when does recovery begin with your patients? And he says, after I've completed the, 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 the surgery or after I've completed the process, the procedure. So recovery for me started at step 10. My job having been recovered, I am uniquely qualified to sit down and work with anyone in this room and let the book do all the heavy lifting, let God do all the repairs, and let you guys continue on with the life that's amazing. Step 10 Keeps us connected, keeps us in line, but step 11 is where we grow in understanding with God. That's all I got. Thanks, guys.